Since the beginning of the pandemic, there have been more people shopping online, which is good news for hackers and people who threaten our cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to Living Well with Robin Stoloff, empowering you to live a healthier life. How safe are you online? Have you ever really thought about that? Well, here is someone that thinks about that all the time. His name is Pete Canavan. He joins us now. He's a cybersecurity expert and host of the syndicated radio show and podcast, Safety Talk. Thanks for joining us, Pete. Thanks, Robin. How are you? I'm doing great. Give us a little bit of, of your background. Uh, I started my own company back in 1995, primarily dealing with you know computer sales and service networks, that kind of stuff. But as time has gone on, and we've seen the security threats emerge over the last decade or so, I've shifted my focus more towards you know protecting people, both their systems, their networks, and their accounts from you know hackers, and making sure that they're doing the right things in terms of keeping you know their their systems and their identities safe. Uh, so it's it's a big need and it's unfortunate, but you know we've got to protect ourselves because there's a lot of people out there that would seek to do us harm. And you're also an expert in martial arts, so you help people in the real world as well. Just tell us about that. Yes, so I've been teaching and training in uh, Taekwondo and Hapkido for about geez, 24 years now. So I'm a fifth degree master. I teach traditional martial arts classes, but then we also do seminars and workshops, you know, self-defense classes for women, college students, uh, corrections officers, uh, law enforcement, et cetera. And you do that in person, online, or both? Well, uh, in person, uh, when the pandemic first hit, I switched and uh, started doing Facebook Lives. That way our students could still, you know, stay up on their skills and follow along and get a workout in and learn. Uh, we didn't shut down for too long. Uh, a few months and then you know we had students coming back they, they just they wanted to get back in person because it's one thing to follow me on the screen it's another thing when i'm in person you know in your face <laughs> absolutely well the bottom line is do not mess with pete either virtually <laughs> or in person either way you're in big trouble so talk to us about the biggest cybersecurity threats right now i mean more people are online now than ever before my dad who never really shopped online he's in his 80s now can order his groceries online. He figured out eBay. He all of a sudden learned this virtual world and I don't think he's alone. A lot of people who never did it before had to do it out of necessity, which creates this perfect storm for people who want to rob us, steal us and, and do us harm. So tell us what we need to be aware of, Pete. First and foremost, uh, I would take advantage of any, uh, any companies that you deal with or any banks that you deal with take advantage of their two-factor authentication capabilities and name. But, you know, when you log in, the system will then send a text to your phone and then you have to add in like an extra passcode or you got to, you know, check something off on your phone that then allows you access into your account. So having that second step is a huge additional way that you can secure your accounts because that way somebody might have your password, but they're not going to have your cell phone. They're not going to have access to your email, most likely so that you have that secondary way of securing yourself. Yeah. And so definitely take advantage of that. Yes, it can be a little bit more of a pain in the neck, but so many of these companies have made it so simple anymore. I mean, literally you type in your password, three seconds later, there's a text on your phone, you grab it, you punch in a number and off you go. It takes, it takes another few more seconds, honestly. I've done it a million times. It's, it's not- a Yeah, and a lot of us have at this point. It's, and it, it's a huge, huge uh, additional step to securing your accounts when you're getting online. 
Yes, that's a that's a really good point. So I'm not sure. Some people are, ah, it's an extra pain, but it can really save you. What about passcodes and people getting into your computer that way? Make sure you have long passcodes, okay? A lot of people, you know, they try to make these real crazy, complicated passwords, which is fine. But if you make your password basically over about 12 characters, it's, it's almost uncrackable because it becomes too long of a, of a process for a hacker to hack a passcode that's that long. Whereas it might take maybe half an hour, an hour, depending on the computer capabilities of the hacker to hack maybe an eight or 10 character password. You start going out to 12, 13, 14, 15 characters. It's gonna take them days, if not weeks to try to hack an account. And most people aren't gonna, you know, most hackers aren't gonna waste that amount of time. They're gonna do more of a, a targeted approach anymore. So the term spear phishing is the new term that is being used lately. And what that allows, what that means rather is that hackers will do some research on somebody, either an individual or on a company and say, hey, there's a company that's, you know, they're worth a lot of money. They've got a lot of cash. I want to target them. So they'll do research. They'll go online. They'll look at the board of directors for the company. They'll do some research on that person. Maybe they'll friend them on Facebook, whatever. And then they'll start to reach out and they'll start try to build some rapport with that person. So it's almost like they get to know them and then they start to, you know, try to trick that person into providing them with either maybe company information or sending them links and say, hey, can you validate some information for me? Or can you take a look at the new project I'm working on? I'm going to send you an email. Well, that email, oh, okay, yeah, great. You know, I'll take a look at it. They get the email. It's from the person they're excising you into providing them with information, maybe about your company or yourself. And now maybe your identity is hacked or your company is hacked. And so it's a, it's a way in. And once they get in, you know, then all bets are off. Now, now it becomes a very, uh, very dangerous situation, depending on the information they're trying to extort or, or get off of you. Jeez, if these hackers have so much skill, they should be working for IT companies legitimately at this time and effort. They're spending, ripping people off. It's incredible to me. It really is. A lot of security companies hire ex-hackers just for that reason. No kidding, because they know how to do it. Wow. They know how to do it. So if they can, you know, do the testing and figure out a way to hack into a system. Now they can say to the, the customer or their employer now at that point, hey, I was able to hack in doing X, Y, and Z. This is where you need to secure your 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 network, your comp your accounts, your computers, whatever. Who says crime doesn't pay? See that? Look at that. <laughs> Unbelievable. And that's it's interesting you say that, Robin, because it is almost like rewarding them for bad behavior. Yes, yes, <laughs> right? It is really. But oh well, you know if you need the if you need their expertise, um, and then another thing is fake websites. Now we're shopping; Christmas season's coming up, and you see these websites, and they offer these great deals. I, I have to admit, I thought I was pretty intelligent about this stuff, Pete, but I got I got fooled one time by this fake website. It looked like I was getting these Michael Kors purses for discount prices and so forth, and. I ordered them and everything. And let me tell you something, actual product came to my home. They were not real Michael Kors bags. So I contacted, I guess my my company, the company that, um, I, I, the credit card company, and they said, just prove that they're not real. And I took it to a Michael Kors store and they said, they gave me a letter that said, these are not, these are fake. And they re refunded me. It was $700, oh, wow. which was amazing. I know it really was amazing. So I was lucky that way, but I was, I felt so foolish. And when I went back to the site, it was gone. 
I went back to find it and it was gone. I couldn't get over it. It looked so real. The bags looked real, everything. And I thought I was getting this amazing clearance price sale. So I don't know, you know, I'm amazed that I even got product. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Yes, yes. So they were trying to really perpetrate the the whole scam. And, and then maybe you would talk to your friends and say, hey, I just bought these great purses, you know, to get other people there. So along those lines, it's interesting that you say that because one of the things that people can do, and it might take an extra step or two, but it's not difficult. When you are thinking about doing business with a company, one of the biggest ways that you can tell whether or not it's legitimate, because you can't really tell from the name or the website address, is you can actually look up what that website address is through uh, a who is lookup. So if you if you just go online and you search for uh, who is lookup, you can actually enter in the name, uh, any website address, and it'll tell you when that site was registered and when the site expires. So if you see a website that's only been registered like three months ago and they only registered it for a year, uh, that's probably not, and you're like in your case, a Michael Kors purse not website. Kors. <laughs> right, it probably would be a website that would have been registered, you know. 15 or 20 years ago, and probably doesn't expire for another three or four or five years. Right. So um, it's funny that you mentioned that too, because it just reminded me of my son was hacked um, with Venmo. And when I heard that, I opened a separate bank account for my Venmo, just because I thought, geez, all right, I'm going to put a few hundred bucks in it. I don't need, you know, but I don't want it attached to my regular bank account. That right. is kind of scary. But uh, it started me thinking, we're using PayPal, Venmo, all of these other pay uh, platforms, how safe are they? Because he he got hacked. He was lucky he got his money back, but somebody bought a car through his Venmo wow. account, a used <laughs> car. He tracked it down. He called the, the dealership out in Indiana. What do you think about those? I mean, are they safe to use? I know there's ones through the bank, like Zelle. Zelle is the one that most banks are supporting now. So if the banks are supporting it, that kind of tells me that they're most comfortable with it, meaning it's probably the most secure of the ones that's out there. PayPal's great. I use PayPal for just about anything. If, I, if I'm buying something online and I can pay with PayPal as opposed to something else, I'll use that because your PayPal account has that extra layer of security in it as well. So yes, it's backed up by a debit or a credit card if your balance goes below zero, but you can also, you don't, you're not entering in your credit or debit card information into every website all the time. Right. You're using PayPal. So, I mean, if PayPal gets hacked, we all are, are in a, a lot of trouble because, you know, a lot of people use it. Um, one of the things that I've done recently is I purchased a prepaid Visa card to use on any websites where I have not uh, already have an established relationship with them because I don't want to put my business, you know, debit or credit card on the website uh, and then when attacked or if it gets hacked, then, you know, then, you know, what a pain in the neck that is. We've all had to deal with that where we've got to go change our card number on, you know, every single place where it's been stored. Sure. Um, so this way that, you know, if you are not comfortable, maybe putting your, your regular account information in, it's a company you haven't done business with before, you know, get a prepaid card. You can get them anywhere at Walmart. I mean, a lot of places sell them, you know, load it with a couple hundred dollars and then it's there if you need it. And it gives you that extra measure of protection because even if it's hacked or something happens, you're never going to lose more than what you've loaded onto that card. So what I did was I opened up a separate bank account and I just put a few hundred dollars in there just for minor incidentals that you might use Venmo for. So that way it's not attached to my my major account where I pay all my bills. So would you right. suggest doing something like that? 
Sure. And like I said, the easiest way to do that is with a prepaid card. You can reload it whenever you want. You know, usually it'll take a day or two for you to reload it with funds. So, you know, if you need to, you don't have any money on it, you need something to buy right away. Well, you're going to have to wait, you know, till the right. funds are loaded onto it. But most banks, they allow you to set up uh, like digital wallets now where you can link multiple banks to your main account. PayPal lets you do that. In fact, as an extra measure of security, I actually load the card for my PayPal account. So I load money into the PayPal account and I use PayPal to load it. So I don't even tell the bank what my real bank's information is. That's very secure. That's a smart thing to do. That's kind of going around the, the bend there, but it's great that you are able to do that. I want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, as a martial artist, keeping people safe in the real world. But before we get to that, I want to ask you one more question about passcodes, because for a while there, I had the same passcode, which I know you should never do, but it was just so easy to remember. <laughs> You're like, naughty girl. Um, so, but I did change that, and I kind of have a system now for creating my passcodes. Because I always, when they say, uh, you know, would you like us to make your own passcode, I get worried about that because I think I'm never going to remember that. And what if I can't find it again? So I like to create my own passcodes. But do you have a, a site or a place or a way to store them so that? that is secure? Because if that gets hacked, then you're in big trouble. Well, that is the, the sort of the debate with password managers. They're great because they let you manage all your passwords in one place. You put them in there once and they're in there. The problem though, as you point out, is what happens if the password manager somehow gets hacked. Now people have access to every single password you have saved there. So if you make the password on your password manager extremely long and complex, uh, you know, 12 to 15 characters should be more than enough. Uh, it's pretty much going to be uncrackable because it would take a hacker too much computing time, you know, weeks or months to try to hack a password that's very long. If it, you're using, you know, and creating passwords that are the minimum, which is usually eight characters, although I've started to see now some sites bump it up to 10, that's a lot easier to crack in terms of the time it takes. And, you know, using powerful computers, using the power of artificial intelligence. Uh, these sorts of technologies are making it easier for the bad guys to hack into accounts. And so I would say if you have a ton of accounts you need to track, they're always changing your passwords or you're always being forced to change passwords, it might be a good idea to use a password manager and then just make sure that that's an extremely long, complex password of at least, I would say, 15 characters on a password manager. Or just old uh, print and paper, write it on some paper and hide it somewhere. Because well, no one can hack that. This is true. Um, if you're going to do that, just put it in a safe. Yeah. You know, so I don't Smart. don't be like you know some people where they you know like where are all their passwords? They go and they reach in their desk drawer and it's right there. It's like really, you yeah, know, or, oh, or, or I never they put it on the that. bottom of their keyboard. You know, the people like I've gone to customers. I'm like, oh, I need your password, and they go, oh, it's uh, and they look under their keyboard. I'm like, really, like. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, use common sense and, you know, don't be complacent. If you like to create your own passwords, which I do, like, I, you know, you go to these websites and it allows you to generate a password. I'm never going to remember that. So typically what I'll do is in my contact management program, I'll create my own password. It'll be something specific to that website. And I deal with it myself. Yeah. Um, I personally do not use a password manager. Okay. I do use one. But uh, as I, as you said, because uh, we have spoken before, I made a really long password for that. And I have a new system of, I make my passwords sort of the same, but I have a little difference at the end of it 
which relates to if it's Microsoft or if it's whatever I'm using, I use oh, okay. uh, maybe some letters from that. From that now, I'm giving it away. Everyone's going to know. So, <laughs> but that's how I remember it, and I have like a system that work, works for me. So, just because I was forgetting them so much, so now I know exactly what to do on each um, on each one. Uh, so that's, that's the thing. It's what works for you. I mean, yeah. if that you know, if that works for you, great. Yes. And talk to us a little bit about artificial intelligence and the role it is playing in cyber hacking and and uh, cybersecurity. Well, this is a kind of a scary topic because we're seeing AI evolve very, very rapidly. Computing power is just always doubling. I mean, Moore's law says approximately every 18 months, the computing power of today's technology will double. So what the computers we have in 18 months are gonna be roughly twice as powerful as what's out there today. So as that computing power continues to get greater, the ability for artificial intelligence software to harness that power becomes greater. And so you can, you know, point that technology for good use, you know, analyzing traffic patterns or, you know, things of that sort where you're using it for, for good and to improve people's lives. But, you know, on the flip side of it, the bad guys can utilize that AI intelligence and that power and direct it towards hacking efforts, for example. Um, even, you know, I, I was watching, the, I attended a virtual cybersecurity conference a couple of weeks ago, and one of the guys at the conference was talking about how, you know, everybody thinks Bitcoin is so secure, but once AI gets to the point where it's able to really take advantage of all the this, this computing power, which it's doing every day more and more, eventually even things like Bitcoin are going to be able to be hacked, which supposedly that was the big selling point, right? Was it's uncrackable, it's unhackable. Well, that's not entirely true. We've already seen some some Bitcoin you know accounts be hacked. So I try to wrap my head around what cryptocurrency is. I got to be honest, it's a little much for me. I just can't wrap my head around it. Um, what exactly is a cryptocurrency? What is cryptocurrency? In the simplest terms, imagine your books, like your accounting books. There is a copy of that accounting book in a million other locations. And anytime anybody makes an entry into that accounting ledger, that entry is reflected in those million other systems. So for you to hack it, you'd have to hack the entry in every single one of those million other systems that have a copy of your ledger. Okay. That's the power of, of cryptocurrency in a nutshell. It's very difficult for it, it to track or to hack rather because there are all these other copies of the data. So if somebody changes one copy of the data in one location, there's 999,999. But who runs locations. it? How does it how does it run? Who controls that? How does it, it's just it's mind-boggling to me. It, well, it instead of money, it has a unique digital signature and that's what makes okay. it unique, but it's anonymous. So it allows me to send you money, it allows you to send me money and nobody else knows. All they know is that account number whatever sent this amount of bitcoin to this account number. And it's completely anonymous. Nobody knows what who sits behind wow, those accounts. That could open up a can of worms. Uh, you know, people hiding money and so forth. I mean, think about what could be done with That's, that. And that is the big argument against it. Is they're saying, well, then people can launder money that way. You know, criminals can move money that way, etc. But at the same time, it's also for privacy advocates, of which I, you know, am one. Nobody has any business knowing what I'm paying with, you know, my money with. It's, 
But I, I want to just uh, shift gears now to the actual real world of uh, being safe. I know you recently wrote a book about safety on college campuses, which is near and dear to my heart because I have a son in college who uh, is you know, a junior. I'm not so worried about him. He's 215-pound rugby player, so okay, he's probably pretty good. My daughter just started as a freshman. She's 110 pounds and very innocent, and that scares me a lot because I think she's trusting. And, you know, doing this job for 30 years as a reporter, I have found, and, and I never really even realized this, that many times you could be attacked or, or sexually assaulted by somebody who you know. Usually it is someone who you know. You always think of someone jumping out of a bush, and that sure happens, or behind a car. But a lot of times it's somebody that you know. And to just be able to get away or to run or to be able to make noise or fight for yourself, you should have some kind of ability to just, just be at least more aware of being able to do that, correct? Absolutely. And what I tell people, and, and we, you know, I teach regular martial arts and self-defense classes as well as specialized classes for women, uh, for law enforcement, for corrections officers, et cetera. But the number one thing that you've got to do is you've got to make sure that you put yourself in the right mindset because I could teach you a really cool move, but if you can't bring yourself to use it, it's pointless to even know it. So even with somebody with zero training, I mean, zero training, if you can flip that switch in your brain and go from, you know, as in your daughter's case, you know, nice, innocent, 110 pound, you know, vulnerable female on a college campus who is you know, all of a sudden faced someday with a threat, simply her being able to recognize that threat and react and with zero hesitation and with 110% effort, there's a good chance that she will come out of that situation, you know, okay. Uh, but you, you run into this problem where people think, well, it's never gonna happen to me. Or as I talk about in my Ultimate Guide to College Safety book, People don't establish those boundaries. They don't establish their comfort zones ahead of time. So if, so if you don't know what your comfort zone is and you don't know where that boundary is, you won't recognize it when somebody crosses it. So you've got to think about these things ahead of time. So as soon as somebody gets close to that boundary and then you know your, your spidey sense should be up and you should be ready to act. And the minute they cross that boundary, you've got to act decisively with zero hesitation. And if you do that, chances are that person that was crossing that boundary is going to be taken aback and the element of surprise will be in your favor so that you can hopefully escape from that situation. And, you know, in terms of self-defense, we tell people follow the center line of the body, right? You want to incapacitate them by taking away their ability to see, right? Throw something or spray something in their eyes. Doesn't that be pepper spray ladies? Take out a, a perfume. You get perfume in your eyes, it stings, right? <laughs> it could be bug spray. It could be right. anything in your purse that you could spray. It could be hand lotion or hand sanitizer, right? Mm -hmm. There's alcohol in that. Take that and squirt it in some bad guy's eyes. He's going to burn. He's going to not feel too well, right? Or she. But so, you know, you take away the eyes, you know, the nose, the throat, the groin, uh, in the case of male and knees uh, are another great uh, target because you take out somebody's knee, dislocate the kneecap, just with a straight kick right to the front of the, underneath the kneecap, right underneath, dislocates the knee. They can't run after you. You can run away. You can escape. Probably a good idea to have pepper no, spray. No, no, no. Have pepper spray. I'm just saying if you don't have pepper spray, Take a look inside your purse or the things that are around you with a fresh set of eyes and say, hey, what can I use here as a weapon? Do I got manicure scissors? Do I have a nail file? Do I have a pen? Do I have whatever? Even the purse itself, right? Some Somebody's purse yeah. is really big. 
<laughs> somebody mine, would mine, mine would hurt someone. <laughs> yeah, well, that's for sure. So, okay, that's a really good tip to be able to do that. But you also should try to make a lot of noise, right, if you are being attacked. Some people might freeze and not be able yes. to even say a word. So that's another important point. And, and, and even yelling help sometimes isn't the best thing because people don't want to get involved. You know, help, help, help. And they're like, oh, man, I don't want to get involved, right? So you could yell fire, right? Anybody wants to come see the pretty fire? Ooh, is it a fire? Well, it's not a fire. It's somebody's attacking me, you know? But yeah. when they're there, what are they going to do? Turn around and walk away? No, chances are they would, you know, hopefully you would think they would step in. Um, but you, um, yeah, personal safety alarms are great. I mean, they're cheap. You can get these little personal safety alarms. There's one called the Silent Beacon. There's one Wander Safe. Um, I featured both of those in my podcast in the past, uh, where the super loud alarm will go off uh, when you when you trigger it. Uh, some of them will act like a grenade. So That's when the pin great. is pulled out, the the alarm goes off. So if you have one, say like wrapped around, you know, you have like say the uh, the strap around your wrist and it's tied to your purse. Somebody grabs your purse and runs with it. The alarm's inside. It pulls the pin out. Now the you know the robber's running down the street with a purse that's got 110, 20, 30 decibel alarm going off. What are they going to do? So it's up to us to you know increase our awareness. Be aware of the people, the places, and the objects around you. Look at things with a fresh set of eyes. Don't be complacent. Don't be you know sitting there with your face stuck into your phone checking your texts. When you're getting leaving, you know, when you're leaving a store, get in your car and go. You know, get your kid in the car first, then your packages, and then leave. You know, so, so there's, there's different things that we can all do on a daily basis that just increase our security and our safety. That we're not being paranoid, we're being proactive. Right, right. That's a good way to look at it. And the name of your book again for college safety? The Ultimate Guide to College Safety. And your other book that you wrote, the one before that? Uh, got a few. The first one is the Self Defense Survival Guide. Yeah. And that's a very good introductory book for self-defense for anybody because it teaches you the right way to hit and strike, the right way to block, the, the place, the, the targets on the body. You've even got a strike chart in the back <laughs> so you can know yeah. exactly to hit people. Um, very comprehensive, uh, great for beginners, how to escape from chokes and things and grabs and whatnot. Uh, and it's, it, you don't need any sort of experience with it. You know, if you can find somebody to help practice with you. That's what I would recommend. Obviously, the, the best thing is to get some in-person training from someone like myself or someone who's, you know, qualified to teach self-defense. And, you know, you don't got to commit years and years to it, but, you know, go go take a couple of classes uh, on self-defense and safety and learn some concepts. Mindset's big, but concepts are big. You know, I talk about, you know, the handles on your wrist. And I mean, there's all kinds of things that if you look at it in a general sense, you can take those general concepts and apply them to all kinds of different personal safety or self-defense situations and, and be effective. Okay. And uh, I also wanted to ask you quickly about your uh, program for businesses, your new program. Tell, talk to us a little bit about that. Well, when COVID first hit, you know, we were all locked down. I decided to take advantage of that time and develop a cybersecurity program for businesses so that businesses could recover from a cyber attack. And we've seen it, you know, in the news almost every day, companies large and small are being hacked. They're being held for ransom. Uh, they're having data stolen. So it's, it's a big, big problem. And if companies haven't been hacked yet, they either don't know that they've been attempted to be, or it's just a matter of time before they will be. And so I developed a program uh, where I tell people, I will teach them. I, I take my two worlds and I blend them together. I'll teach them to be a cybersecurity black belt. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so you don't have to be technical in nature. You don't have to be, have anything other than an interest in developing a comprehensive plan for recovering from a cyber attack. 
And I to walk them all the way through from, you know, taking a look at your mission and your vision statement in your business, all the way through to what controls and what assets you need to protect and what risks, you know, exist in a realistic sense. You know, I'm not going to worry about an asteroid hitting the earth, but you should worry about maybe a potential flood if your business is near a river, you know, or there's a cyber attack on your industry. You know, we saw the pipeline uh, attack just recently happen. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's critical infrastructure that is at serious, you know, risk and it would affect every single one of our lives. And think about it, if your business was attacked and you went out of business, not only does that affect your life and livelihood, it affects the lives of all the employees that you have. And you have a certain responsibility as an employer to, to protect those people and, and make them, you know, safer and make your company secure so that they can come to work every day and feel good about it, knowing that you've done everything in your power to protect them. And if there's a problem, you've got a plan to help them, you know, get back to business as soon as possible. You are helping us to be safer in person and online. Pete Canavan, cybersecurity expert and ninja as well. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, but almost. I almost guess. Yeah. You are in my book. You're a ninja. Thanks so much for joining us, Pete. All right, everybody. Stay safe. Thanks for having me, Robin. Absolutely. And thank you for joining me for Living Well with Robin Stoloff, empowering you to live a healthier life. Be sure to subscribe and I'll keep you updated on my most recent episode. Until we see you next time, please stay safe and keep living well. Thanks.